Today being the 23rd, I picked verse 23 out of chapter 23. Truth, wisdom, learning, and good sense. These are worth paying for, but too valuable for you to sell. Don't ever sell your wisdom. That's good. That's really good. So we're in the third week of a uh, five-part series. If, if you've been coming to church here for just the last two weeks, you've um, heard other people teaching, and I appreciate those two who stood in for me, and I'm just the, the third in a series. I promise you um, I'll stick around for a little longer, and I won't be, um, um, we, won't, we won't make you go through a fourth or a fifth or a sixth person. Uh, so thanks for your patience, and um, I also want to thank the two guys who opened the Word of God for us and shared so faithfully with our church. I, I appreciate both Seth and um, Eric for doing, doing that way to go. And I won't call your wife babe. I'll call my wife honey, but you know, it's always good to explain. He doesn't call every woman in the church babe, just one, and that's, that's approved, of course. So five different, um, five different messages that we're, we're in the third one, and um, this is a study of the character of Daniel, not so much the book of Daniel. We'll do that maybe some other time, but we've been looking at how he, he, he would stand. The first, first week we talked about him standing out, how we need to, to appear to be different than the world around us. We talked about that. Um, the week after that, we talked about him standing up for what's right, taking a position and standing up for what's right. Uh, next week is uh, probably, well, it might, be, it might be to you the most relevant in the series. We're going to be talking about standing in faith, believing God, standing in faith and believing God in prayer. And today I want to talk about standing strong when you uh, face some opposition. And, and the story we're, gonna, we're going to hear is if, if, you were, if you were raised in Sunday school, and you're anything close to my age, um, you will remember the high technology of the flannel graph, right? <laughs> and um, which I think might have even preceded the overhead projector, which some of you don't even know what that is. The church, I want you to know we have two or three overhead projectors in storage somewhere. That I don't know why, why we've hung on, hung on to them. Anyway, but you probably remember these little flat felt lions and Daniel and a den, and, or maybe you saw the Noah's Ark one or, you know, David and Goliath, but you will remember this is one of the most common Sunday school s- stories. And that, that truth for Christians in particular um, is one of the challenges for me to teach on this because, um, you know, we, we, we almost view this in this kiddie version, you know, ki- children's, children's version. It's like Daniel's this handsome young man and the lions are, they would actually appear to be hello kitties and... Um, you know, he cuddles up with them, like that's kind of like the, you know, like there's some kind of a pillow. And the reality is it was nothing like that at all. Um, you know, Daniel is in his 80s at this point. He's been walking in relationship with the Lord for eight decades. And um, these lions do not look like precious moments lions, okay? They do not look that way. And I have total respect for lions. I mean, lions... Um, are very special animals. And one of the reasons was, I mean, this has nothing to do with the message today, but one of the reasons is w- w- there was a time that I was out with my pals hunting, and we were separated, and I was walking up this road by myself, and I'm, I'm pretty invulnerable. I've got my big, you know, hunting rifle, and I've got my hunting sense about me, and I'm ready to do what I need to do for my family, and and all that kind of stuff. And um, all of a sudden, I, I had the sense about me that I wasn't alone, and that I was being followed. I don't know if I heard something or sensed something, and um, I started kind of feeling kind of creepy, even though I had my rifle with me and all that kind of stuff. And, and as I went along this road, I finally heard something, which I think was rare, because I think usually when you're being stalked by a mountain lion, you don't know. 
um, and um, and as I turned and I caught a flash of fur and I saw this thing scamper away, um, it was creepy. It was it was just downright creepy to be hunted. It's just downright creepy. Anyway, so I got a lot of respect for mountain lions and um, all lions actually, and especially considering the truth that I've been known on a couple of occasions to mention their cousins, the cats, okay? And I have to say right here and now that cats and lions are not the same thing. I got a lot of respect for lions anyway, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm, where I'm going with that. Um, but just say, don't judge me, because, you know, I was chased one time just for a few minutes, and uh, it caught my attention. So, so in this, the context of this story is... <laughs> how do we, I, I don't know what you guys are saying, but I'm going to keep talking. Um, how do we stand strong? How do we stand strong in the middle of this severe um, opposition? So by the time we get to this story in Daniel chapter 6, he's, he's actually serving under a different king than, than the last time we talked about. He was, he was uh, under Nebuchadnezzar at the time. Now he's serving under a king named Darius. And you may hear it, Darius, Darius, I don't know. First time I ever heard it was Darius, so that's what I'm stuck on. Um, but So I'll, I'll say Darius. So, and now history records Darius as a, as a kind of an administrative, you know, real powerhouse. He was a really, really smart guy, and, and he reorganized a whole lot of things in his kingdom, and, and one of the things he did was he sets up um, what Bible calls 120 satraps. What a weird name of satrap. I mean, I mean, they're called satraps, 120. You and I would maybe consider them to be like a governor. The word, the word literally means kingdom protector or province protector. So it was an overseer over a geographic area. Uh, maybe a city, maybe a little more, I don't know. But there were 120. He divides his kingdom, 120 people, satraps. And um, a, 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 he doesn't want to, Darius doesn't want to relate to 120 subordinates. It's too many. So he splits it and, and he says, okay, he picks three people to oversee those satraps. And Daniel happens to be one of those three. Now, their job, these satraps, was to protect against rebellion, basically. To protect against rebellion, to collect the taxes, and to, to guard the financial you know, stability of the nation. To balance the budget. Whatever. I think that's what they were trying to do. Stay within their means is what's going on here. Did I really just say that just now? I don't know. Um, okay, so Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. We'll pick up there. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps, these kingdom protectors, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over, put him in charge over, the whole kingdom. So he's going to make him now his number two person. His whole, throughout Daniel's life, he's been standing out. He's been serving with an excellent spirit, Scripture says, and he's been always going the extra mile. And, and Darius says, hey, you know, this Daniel guy, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. I'm going to put him in charge. He's going to be second only to me. Everybody else is going to report to him. And that sounds like a pretty good day for Daniel, don't you think? You get promoted, and all of a sudden, you're like almost the king of the world. That's a pretty big deal. And it sounds pretty sweet. And it is kind of on the outside. And oftentimes what looks really good on the outside can have all kinds of other trouble stirring down underneath the surface on the inside. You know, These other two administrators, they're, they're kind of getting a little wound up and jealous about this. 
And so they start to go hunger games on this guy. Hey, let's, 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 let's take this guy out. I mean, he's, he, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we can falsely accuse him. We can get him out of the picture so that we can have his power and his role. We're going to take him down. Now, um, I, I'm in my study, and I'm prone to rabbit trails to begin with, and so I'm going to take you on a little short one um, about Darius. His name literally means holding firm the good. Okay, interesting name. I'm not so sure. Um, how he rose to power was, is kind of interesting because I think it relates to what's going on with these guys. There had been an assassination of the previous ruler of the kingdom, and, and they were down to about six or so, we'll call them lords with a small L, okay? You'll know what I mean by that. Six, six of these guys who um, have to decide, who, how are we going to run this country from this point. And so there's this argument, well, we should have a republic, we should have a democracy, we should have a monarchy. And the monarchy idea, which Darius was pushing, wins out. So, uh, pardon me. So, so they're saying, okay, well, we'll do this, but how will we figure out the monarchy? And um, so they came up with this plan. Now, this is the odd thing. The plan was they were all going to get on their horse and come to a certain place at sunup. And the first horse to go, <laughs> that's the new king. Okay? So Darius's lieutenant, now this is how the story goes, and I, I don't mean to be indiscreet, but I'm going to paint this picture so you understood what happened. His lieutenant knows that this horse that Darius is going to go on, the stallion, has affections for a certain mare. So, he goes and he obtains the scent of this mare. And just before sunup, he rubs his hands with have the scent of this mare on it right around the nostrils of the stallion. <laughs> so out he goes, out they come, and what these other lords hear is, you know, Darius's horse goes off. What the horse was saying is, where is she? Where's that chick I like so much? Okay, so this manipulative, which these other guys took to be a sign from God, right, was this controlled manipulation grab for power. And I, it's totally a rabbit trail. It has nothing to do with the scripture today. I admit that. But and I, I also want you to understand, I have a good, good sense for my role as a church pastor. My role here is not to tell you who to vote for. I don't ever try to do that. Uh, you will know that if you've been here for a few years. We go through elections and I don't say, hey, vote for this guy, not for this guy. But I'm going to say something to you about voting right now. You should vote. And this is a demonstration of why it's more important that you vote for character than for issues. Just want to say that to you as, a, as your pastor. When you make a decision about who to vote for, don't vote because somebody's going to make your life fiscally better. Vote because of their character. Whatever, that, whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit would confirm to you, I'm going to leave it at that. So there's end of rabbit trail. I'll back back out of that because I know I just went out on thin ice with some of you. And so in that, in that spirit, these, 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 these other two guys now, this manipulating and controlling, lying, false accusations, you know, they decide they're going to go after Daniel. And we're going to watch him stand strong with some, some, some sort of internal supernatural strength that only comes from a long-term, well-developed, faith-filled relationship with the creator of the universe. Okay, so from Daniel chapter 6, we're going to see uh, three truths to help you stand strong. 
Now, the first one, this is not fun, but it's true. First one is this. When God raises you up, expect people to, to tear you down. When God raises you up, you should expect some people to tear you down. Not everybody. So, for example, you get promoted at work, and the people around you that you hope will feel the most excited for you are sometimes the ones that are, you know, most jealous and critical of you. It could just happen that way. Or, or let's just say you, you, you have had an encounter with God and you're excited about your faith with the Lord and other people start to make fun of you. That happened to me. I got saved on, a, on an Easter morning. I stood up and f- did a public, I mean, I went in front of a whole church down to an altar when the pastor said, if you want to get saved, get down here. And I did in front of a huge church full of other high school age kids and adults. And the next day at school, I took a ration. Oh, we saw you get saved. I mean, it just, it just had happened to me. Um, excited. Or, or God speaks to you very clearly about something um, you're going to do that he wants to call you to that's, that's controversial in our culture. You know, like, you know, maybe you decide you're going to downsize so you can get out of debt. Or maybe you've decided I'm going to be a stay-at-home parent even though I could make a pile of money because I just, this is what I feel is the Lord calling me to do with my kids. And, and people will criticize you or you're doing something that's culturally unpopular and God called you to do it and people start to criticize you. You're raised up and people will start to tear you down. In, um, in Australia, New Zealand, and in the United Kingdom, they, they have a, something called the tall poppy syndrome. They call it the tall poppy syndrome. And you can look it up, but, but it's, it's the deal like this. There's a, in their culture, you know, in a monarchy... That's a, it's kind of a monarchy, a modified monarchy now. Um, and um, they have this sense of, you know, nobody's any better than anybody else. You might be the king, but you're not any better, you know, and, although they treat them better and all that kind of stuff. They, they have this sense. So, so there is this tradition, if they grow poppies, and if one of the poppies grows taller than the other poppies around it, you know what they do? Cut it off. Nobody gets to be any taller than anybody else. Tall poppy syndrome. Now, we have something the same. It's called the same thing. It's the same kind of a deal in the United States. It's called the crab syndrome here. And did you know what would happen if you put crabs in a bucket and one says he wants to get out? He'll try to crawl over and the other crab says, oh, no, no, you're not getting out of here. If I can't get out, you're not getting out. Get on in here. Get back here. You see that? One guy's trying to, to, to bust out. Everybody else says, no, you're staying here with the rest of us. Sorry, that's the end of the video. He doesn't get out. And when, <laughs> and when God raises you up, you have to expect that there will be some people who are going to tear you down. And we see that story played out exactly like this in Daniel um, in, in verses 4 and 5. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. In other words, if we can find some dirt in his closet, we can run some political ads and bury him in the election. <laughs> it goes on and says, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Why? It says, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. We tried to dig up some dirt, but he has been so faithful to, to in serving his God that we can't find anything against him, and so they devised this plot and decided that they were going to attack him. Now, 
this brings us to one of the problems I, th- I, th- I think is in what I'm going to call North American Christianity. And that is so often that people believe that, you know, if I'm serving God, I shouldn't really face any opposition or trouble. But we want to think that. I'm trying to do what God's calling me to do, so people ought to not be against me. They shouldn't, I shouldn't have to face hard trouble. The reality is, though, is that's just not true. And part of the reason it's not true is because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers in, 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 in the prince of dark, the prince of darkness. And oftentimes, this, the prince of darkness you know, works through people, sometimes even well-meaning people. That's why I'd say this to you. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're really not ready to be used by God. That's good for one more repeat. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. That's why I don't particularly worry. I don't really freak out when I face opposition. I mean, you know, I'm more concerned when there is no opposition. I'm always in favor of a honeymoon. I love that. But, But if there's continually never any opposition, I guess I'm wondering. And so here's Daniel. He's standing strong, and sure enough, he's got this opposition. And some of you might be facing opposition right now at work, your marriage. And so these other two administrators, you know, they're saying, you know, we got to stop this guy. So they decided to butter up the king. Hey, king, you lose some weight? Well, you look pretty ripped. Those are, you're getting pretty buff. You're looking really good. You know, they're buttering up the king, however you butter up a king in those days. And they say, hey, how about this? Why don't you issue a law? Why don't you issue a decree that for 30 days, nobody can pray to anybody, any other god, or seek any other man except you? And if they do, let's throw them in the lion's den. Now, King Darius was like a lot of the kings uh, of that time and today, vulnerable to pride. Vulnerable pride. And, um, and it was common back then, not so much anymore, but it was common back then that they would try to deify themselves. You know, oh, hell, I think I'm a god now. You know, I, I don't know how that works, but they would do that. Even though they knew they weren't a god, they, they wanted to be treated like a god. So he says, okay, fair enough. 30 days, pray to me. If they fail me in that, they get to be lion's lunch. So, so this creates now this trap for Daniel because they knew that Daniel was a man, a, a great man of prayer. They knew that he liked to pray. So a rhetorical question. I wonder, if somebody made a law like that today, how many people would be worried about you because you're known to be a person of prayer. Don't answer that question. Too few would be worried about me. I, I, I don't want to answer the question out loud. But they knew that this was going to create a problem for Daniel because he was so faithful in his prayers. And, you know, when we hear this story, if you've heard the story before and you know the good ending to the story, you know, we tend to think of, you know, these cute little lions and Daniel using them for a nice warm pillow for the night. Um, But the truth is, he had no knowledge at this point that God was going to rescue him. 
he did not know that God, he had no promise. There was nothing that was guaranteeing him had tomorrow. He just simply had to make this decision. And as I look at this, he had three options. I mean, I can see the three options. First one, stop praying. Hey, God, I've been faithful to you for eight decades. You know I love you. You know my faith is in you. How about if we just take a time out? 30 days. I'll just submit to what they want. I'm better off to you alive than I am dead. So how about we meet back here in 30 days and we pick up where we left off. That, that, that's okay. Well, you're cool with that, right, God? Sounds like a st- stupid prayer. I mean, because we know that God's never going to allow, um, agree to us worshiping any other God. Sounds absurd. Thing is, that's a very common prayer today. It's very common. And I'm not going to go down that trail. But okay, second, the second option is, and what honestly is probably what I would, how I would have failed. He could have faked it. He could have prayed silently. Hey, Terry, what are you doing? I'm awake. What? Huh? You know? Or, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know. I, I do that. I like, to, I like to do that to Lisa. We're on a long road trip somewhere, and if she happens to take a minute or two to have a nap in the passenger seat, and I'm on the freeway, and they've got those little rumble things on the edge... Now, I want you to know, this is not totally my fault because my father taught me this. <laughs> Didn't he, Mom? Yeah. So, um, you know, and it, they'd be driving along, and if she was asleep, he'd pull over there and go, boom, boom, boom. And just as her head would come up, he'd say, I'm awake. I'm good. I'm good. Anyway, so, I mean, that's probably how I would have failed. God. Take a lot of courage to... to um, to, to not fail him in this, but to pray silently or to fake it or just keep your faith hidden so you don't get criticized, so you don't make any waves in culture. And you know, that does more damage here than it does out there. It does. Third option, keep praying publicly like he had been all along. Praying and risking his death. And that's what he chooses to do. Wow. His faith was so strong that I I'm, I'm end up asking this question, what in the world built that kind of faith? How do you have such deep faith that he's willing to stand strong in the face of death? And that leads us to the second truth that will help us stand strong, and that's this. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Verse 10 is really powerful. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Wow. You know, our first response to a trial should never be to panic. It should always be to pray. You know, but even, even the way we talk kind of gives us away on this. I've, I've joked about this before. You know, we, we do everything we can to manipulate and control circumstances and to fix things on our own. And then when we've done everything within our capabilities and it hasn't fixed the problem, we say this. Well, all I can do now is pray. All I can do now is seek God. And I'm sure God's up in heaven going, oh, man, things are tough for you, Terry, if you're down to me. I mean, there's nothing left now but me. 
How bad for you. Terrible. And when we're thinking, all we can do now is pray. I get the sentiment. But no. We need to say, hey, we can pray. We get to come before the throne of God. We get to come before the creator of the universe, the sustainer. of. We get to go and sit on the lap of the king. He hears us. He cares about us. He cares about the intimate deals. We get to talk to the one. I'm getting excited up here thinking about this. We get to talk to the one who can make a difference, who cares and loves us so desperately. We can pray. But notice here, Daniel doesn't get all, you know, Occupy Wall Street. You know, he's, 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 he's getting, you know, he, he says, he doesn't announce his prayers publicly. He doesn't make this public show. Jesus hates that, by the way. Hey, look at me, pray. Here's how I will show you how close I am to God. He doesn't do that. He does exactly what he's always done. He doesn't make this big fuss. He just quietly, by faith in God, did what he'd always done. And it was this deep and reverent prayer that he'd always done before. And I'm absolutely convinced that the successes of David's life were based upon pre-made decisions, pre-decisions. You know, we talked about this in week one. He had pre-decided that he wasn't going to defile himself with food that had been set aside for idols. And I think somewhere in his life, way earlier, he had pre-decided, in, you know, somewhere in his 80 years, that he said, I'm going to see God, and for me, I'm going to see God three times a day. I'm just, you know, it's what I'm going to do. He, and, and it's because I'm a child of God, I'm going to pursue him. And he decided to do it, you know, for him, three times a day. You know, he, he wanted to start his day with God. He, he wanted God in the middle of his day. He wanted to wrap up his day with God. Because God has been, you know, he's saying, God has been that good to me. I'm, that's, my, that's what I'm going to do. This is his decision. I need to know him. I need to hear God. I need to sense him. I need God to lead me. I need his ongoing strength. And, and I have to have this ongoing intimacy with God. I need to pursue God. And I, I want to say this to you with all gentleness, but as directly as it needs to be said. If, if you haven't predecided your plan about how to get to know God, the chances are you're not getting to know God. If you haven't predecided a plan, you know, if you have no predetermined plan, of how you're going to become more intimate with God tomorrow than you are today or next month than you are this month, you're probably not growing in intimacy with the Lord. And for a lot of people, it's, um, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, and I have to say I've, that's been me for, at times and not at other times. I have seasons in my life, things change. But for a lot of people, it's, you know, first thing in the morning, they're doing their thing and, um, and, and, and maybe opening the word of God and just waiting upon the Lord. And I understand that. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody sitting in this room today about this very topic. And, um, you know, to say to God, you know, God, these are your eyes. Help me to see things that you want me to see today. These are your ears, Lord. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to hear the people around me. Help me to hear your heart. These are your hands, Lord. Help me to find a way to serve and to make a difference in your kingdom today. Something, some little thing, Maybe it's some random act of, you know, it's just, help me, Lord. These are your hands. These are your feet. Your word says you're going to guide me. Lead me, Lord. I don't want to just wander around and bump into my day. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Guide me. I give you permission to interrupt me, Holy Spirit. I got my plans, but interrupt me. 
Do you know that we do that in the service, before service? The leaders meet. We've got our plan. We know what we're doing. We actually time it. Not to be mechanical, but we think, okay, we're going to do this better. This amount of time and this, this time. And, and often, most, it's understood every time, but sometimes we remind ourselves, listen, all this is out the window the moment the Holy Spirit steps in. It says, left turn, because we want to be led by the Spirit, which is a scriptural thing. Led by the Word and led by the Spirit, really, really important. So you're in this devotion. You say, Lord, if you're a father, you say, God, help me shepherd my family. If you're a pastor, you say, Lord, help me lead the church where you want the church to be. And that's a serious, important time to you. And I really believe that that kind of intimacy with God is critical to your success in life and to your success in forever. I really believe that. If you don't have a predetermined plan to grow in your intimacy with God, the chances are you're not becoming closer to the Lord. So notice how he prayed. And I love this. You know, he, it says he knelt before God in prayer. How do you have the strength to stand strong? He could stand before men because he had knelt before God. Something happens there that emboldens you, that gives you the strength when and where and how you need it. And if you've never knelt before God in prayer, I'm talking about the physical stance. You're missing one of the most powerful postures of humility and, and surrender. Um, and I really believe the posture matters. Now, we come to church, and we don't do it here, really, to speak of. We don't say, hey, let's get down on our knees. And that's for practical reasons. First off, if I'm going to get on my knees to pray, I kind of got to prepare myself physically for it because I'm not as flexible as I once was. Second thing is, if I'm not in the front row, there's no way for me to do this physically. I, I, I don't, I'm not, if I work for Cirque du Soleil, I could do it. But I don't, and to you know, twist myself into that, I mean, I'm going to need a chiropractor when I get done with the search. So, so we don't do it, and it's not for any reason other than the practical. But it's, it's a righteous thing to do. If you're in a worship service here, and, and at some point you've, you're in a physical place to get on your knees, you have the freedom to do that. Don't draw attention to yourself, though. I mean, I'm not suggesting that. But I'm saying, if you're in worship and you say, God, I, I want to suck carpet. <laughs> I want to get down low. And if you find the time and the place to do that without you know, without drawing attention away from the king, it's the righteous thing to do. We don't lead you in here for practical reasons, not because we don't have the theology. You're okay with that, right? Okay. I mean, I had a conversation one time with a guy who, who visited the church, and he doesn't attend here because we don't have an altar. And I think, okay, that's important to him. Um, um, it's practical. It's just a practical issue, not a theological one. So as long as we're all on that same page, I'm going to move on from that. Um, so... If you've never, ever, never, ever knelt before the Lord privately, there's something to doing that that changes you for the better. The more humble you get, believe me, the stronger you'll be. And, and then I can just say for me, and I'm not here to parade myself before you, but there are times for me when kneeling doesn't get it done. And I want to press myself down into the carpet not because I like the smell of the carpet. But there's just times where I want to be, I want every bit of flesh of, in me to say, I, I want it out. I want the spirit, this intimacy of the Lord, just the more humble you are, the more available you are to becoming more intimate with God. And Daniel had somewhere 
predetermined a long time earlier that he was going to seek God in prayer. When life gives you something that, that knocks you backwards, kneel before him in prayer. You know, he'll give you the strength that you need. He will. You know, I've, I've been in this series, you know, for a few weeks now, and I've had people come to me saying that, you know, this, this kind of inspired. I said, the Lord's calling me to kind of, you know, stand up for God and to be righteous in that. And I believe that many of you, you're going to take a stand. You're, you're, you're going to take, at some point, maybe soon, a courageous stand. And it could be a stand about some major world issue. Or it could be a stand about something going on in your neighborhood. Or it could be something personal. You, 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 you could take a stand and say, okay, I'm, I'm my child is just not going to play in this particular soccer league because the games are on Sundays. It takes them out of school or church, to church, and that's, that's going to be an important priority to my family. You take a stand like that. Or maybe you'll take a stand and you'll break up with your boyfriend because he's asking you to do things that you don't feel right about, and they're stealing from you your station of purity with God. And you're going to take a stand. Or you're going to take a stand. You're not going to do a business deal because it's a little bit, there's not quite enough integrity there. So you decide to trust God with this. And here's what's going to happen in your mind when you do that. And what happens now if little Janie doesn't get to play Division I college soccer because and have her in the best league? Or what happens if I never get a, another boyfriend or what happens if I don't get a promotion or, or even if I lose my job because I won't make this deal? I wish I could tell you that things are always going to work out the way you want them to. But I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. Daniel would ask this question, well, God, what if the lions decide to eat me? You know, And that's a fair question because there are plenty of other people in the Bible, who had every bit as much faith as Daniel had, and God did not rescue them. What's that all about? And we're not talking here about a Disney movie, and we're not talking about precious moments. (laughs) This is real life with a sovereign God whose thoughts and ways are higher than our ways, and he's sovereign And God will often do things that don't make sense to us. From our viewpoint, we go, I I don't see where this is going. So I can't promise you that if you if you if you take a stand, that you're not going to face consequences, that that things are not going to go against you. I'm not telling you that. That people aren't going to resist you, or that you're not going to be left out or overlooked or end up hurting and feeling worse off. The only promise I can make to you is this. Number three. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. And here's the difficult part for us to understand. You know, Daniel didn't know the end of this story when he was in the middle of it. Okay? He, he doesn't know that his story is going to become a Sunday school lesson for thousands of years afterwards. He doesn't know this. And he's saying, well, so no matter what, I'm going to be faithful to God. No negotiating, no deal-making, no ifs, ands, or buts. But this doesn't seem fair, God. No, just God has been faithful to me. So I'm going to be faithful to him. 
If he saves me, I'll be faithful to him. If he takes me home, I'm going to be faithful, faithful to him. So now, so this, back to the story. So King, King Darius now, he's pretty ticked off and he's upset. Why? Well, he liked Daniel. He loved Daniel. He chose Daniel. He, this is his guy. And the king is a little bit mad because he knows he messed up personally, but he's also been tricked by two of his closest associates, people that he should have been able to trust, and they deceived him. So, so here's what's going on. The law can't be changed according to their law. The king can't even change his own law so that he's got to live it out now. So he's having a difficult night. He fasts. He puts away any entertainment that he would normally have. He doesn't sleep the whole night. He's, he's fussing over this whole thing. Oh, what's going to happen? Now, back in the lion's den... We don't really know what actually happens in the lion's den. Scripture doesn't tell us. We know what doesn't happen. But we really don't know what was going on with, with Daniel. You know, whether he was you know, singing worship songs in the corner and there was a big bubble around him. We don't know that. Or whether he was shivering in the corner and afraid for his life or whether he wet himself or what was going on. It was, I mean, things were not good. You know, they lower him in there. You know, maybe he was barking like a dog. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but um, we know what wasn't happening in there. He wasn't being eaten alive. And I believe with all my heart, this is a literal story. I believe it's a literal story, and it's, it, it reflects the goodness and the power of God in, in Daniel's life. And, and the first thing that happens in the morning, King Darius goes running in there, Daniel, 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 you know. He's He's concerned. And I love what he says. He says, has your God, whom you continually serve, you can look this up, whom you continually serve, I've watched you. I've seen your life. You've been faithful. Every, you're just so consistently serving him. Has your God, whom you continually serve, has he saved you from these lions? Verse 22, Daniel's voice. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight, in God's sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound, no wound was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. Now, there were two guys who didn't do what's right. And the king calls that man and says, Hey, um, you're going into the lion's den. By the way, you can read about this, but it wasn't just them. This guy's in their sin, they pulled down because their wives and their kids and their pet cats went in there too. I don't know about the cats. That, that was completely my flesh. Forgive me for that. I'm going to pay for that too, I know. And they go in there. And the angel that had been working all night to protect Daniel, he's tired now. And he doesn't save those guys. And then the king issues this decree. And he says that every person in the kingdom needs to fear the God of Daniel. That doesn't mean to be afraid of. That means respect. Because in Daniel's faithfulness to God, God had been faithful 
to him. And I really believe that even if God had not chosen to close the mouth of those lions, Daniel would have been faithful to God. He would have been. So, if you're facing some sort of opposition in life, and I know many of you are, or maybe you will, I want to remind you that when God raises you up, there will be people around you who will oppose you. It's okay. It's part of the deal. You just need to learn to live with it. Suck it up, and you'll get through it. It'll be okay. It's part of life. You should probably be more concerned if you'd never face opposition. Probably means that maybe you're not extending the kingdom much at all. Anyway, okay, so second thing is, remember that kneeling to pray will give you the strength to stand. If you haven't predetermined, if you haven't made a plan and said, here's how I'm going to invest myself to grow more intimate and closer to God, you need to do that because if, you're, if you don't have the plan, you're probably not doing it. And you need to set aside some time to seek the God of heaven and to make intimacy with him a top priority because when we, when we do what's right, we just leave the results to God. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would give us uh, sons and daughters the courage to stand strong, Lord, in the face of opposition. And Lord, I, I, I just think that sounds easy when we're reading about a story from thousands of years ago. It's harder. For some reason, it seems harder when it's just us and we're not even facing lions. So Lord, I pray for something of divine strength. And Lord, while I'm while we're on this topic of standing for God, I, I pray too for people who maybe have never ever taken a stance for you, ever. And eternity hangs in the, in the balance. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak words of salvation as you court people today and say, come home. Come home to the king. There's an eternity in the balance. Scripture says that every person falls short. Every person is in need of salvation and that your works won't get the job done. You can't be good enough. So open your heart. Open your heart, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, as you...